what we do at the city level can change the world. And, and frankly, it is changing the world around things like climate change. And you are low enough to the ground that it is intimate. It is yeah. personal. Yeah. You know the people that your policies are affecting. And that's why I also think local leaders are effective policymakers because they are closest to the people. They are closest to the ground. Their policy ideas are coming out of visceral experiences in a community. So I encourage everyone to consider local politics. I know state, Congress, federal leadership sounds very exciting, but I think local is where the action is. Welcome to How Women Inspire, where women lead, invest, and give. I'm your host, Julie Castro-Abrams, founder and CEO of How Women Lead and managing partner of the venture firm How Women Invest, feminist, social justice warrior, mother, friend of 50,000 plus badass women, and an expert at helping top executive women get on boards and break down barriers for women entrepreneurs, investors, and social impact activists. In this podcast, we interview women influencers and leaders from across the globe who are in the C-suite, founding companies, investing, and agents of change. We'll share stories of how women lead. We'll provide insights and data, tips you can put into action, and get to know the women who have fiercely and unabashedly stepped into their power in leadership and opened doors for other women like you. We discuss topics ranging from the journey of getting a board seat how we can counter cultural frameworks that change the way the world views women leaders, what we're doing to close the gender funding gap, and driving equity for women in all aspects of life and career. My goal is that after every episode, you walk away feeling inspired, unstoppable, ready to level up and step into your power and influence. I want to break down the cultural narratives that hold us back collectively and those messy messages you heard that are taking up way too much of your brain space. I want you to know you're invited in because I know that together we can change the culture, change opportunities, and create the future we want for our daughters and sisters and friends. This is our time. Are you in? Welcome to How Women Inspire. My guest today served as Oakland's 50th mayor from 2015 to 2023. During her tenure, Oakland experienced its greatest housing building boom this century, doubled affordable housing production, quadrupled interim housing for homelessness, broke all-time records for repaving streets, and saw Oakland's lowest five-year period of gun violence. She is most proud of creating the Oakland Promise, deemed by experts the most comprehensive cradle-to-career initiative in the nation and launching universal preschool access in Oakland. She's currently the Interim Executive Director of Emerge California, one of my favorite organizations that recruits Democratic women to run for political office, and she is a lecturer at UC Berkeley, the Goldman School of Public Policy. Boy, are they lucky to have you. She also serves on the boards of California Competes, the NorCal Coalition of College Promise Programs, and Climate Migration Council, Libby Schaff. It is an absolute honor to have you on this podcast today. Talk about women leaders who inspire. 
Well, right back at you. Thank you for inspiring everyone every day in all these different fields too. Like I love how you find leadership in different venues. So thank you, Julie. Well, you and I both share something, if I could be so bold as to say, we both have committed our life to make the world a better place. Full stop, nothing else. That is the definition of how we're trying to make things happen in the world. And I want to thank you for that on behalf of everyone who benefits both directly and indirectly from your amazing leadership. Libby, let's just have a little fun for a minute here. What is a song that you listen to in maybe the good times to celebrate or even the tough times when you need a lift? Oh, it's got to be hammers to legit. <laughs> to quit. Hey, hey, <laughs> I love that song. And, you know, Hammer is so Oakland. He's from Oakland. And, you know, it's about not quitting. And it's about not quitting because of your legitimacy, the truth, the power, the authenticity of your passion. And that is what gets me up. I will tell you, boy, leading a city like Oakland, they try and take you down just about every day. And so a song like that to say, hey, I am not quitting. I am too legit to quit. And I love Hammer. Fun story, Julie. Hammer saved my bacon. Uh, We actually became friends under very unusual circumstances. I have had the great joy of having our basketball team, the Golden State Warriors, what a fun team, win the world championship four times while I was the mayor. But there was nothing like the first time. Like, I am born and raised in Oakland. In fact, another fun fact, first guy to ask me on a date to the school dance was Al Owls Jr., his dad was the coach of the Warriors when we were in You're middle kidding. school. Felt very proud to be invited <laughs> by Al Adels Jr. to the school dance. But anyway, so excited that, you know, the whole world was going to come to Oakland to celebrate this incredible fairy tale team, the Golden State Warriors. You know, we were, we had believed, we hadn't given up, we were too legit to quit. And we finally won a world championship for whatever reason, the day before the big parade day. I decided to take up jogging again after a 10-year hiatus where I was pregnant or breastfeeding or both for 10 years of my life. Maybe not fully 10 years, but you know, I had the toddlers and I was like, Uh okay, I'm going to get out there. Hard to leave the six-month-old alone, right? Oh my God. You remember like, you're just like, I've got to like move my body. (laughs) I've been, you know, a slave to these little beings for all these years. So I decided to go out and start jogging again. I was feeling very proud of myself and I tripped and fell and I broke my hand. So my team said, Mayor, you cannot be on top of your giant metal fire breathing snail car, which, you know, is my signature ride. You know, of course, the mayor of Oakland has to go around in a burning man vehicle. And they're like, you can't be up there by yourself with a broken hand. And so someone knew someone who knew someone who knew Hammer And at 1030 at night, the night before the parade, I get a call that Hammer will ride with me on top of my flaming snail car at the Warriors Parade. He rode with me ever since. He was a supporter of mine, friend, great guy, great fan and ambassador of Oakland. And that is why I love Too Legit to Quit. All right. Well, that is fantastic. Well, besides listening to that song, is there anything that you do? I mean, 
honestly, my friend, I love Emerge because I could never do what you do and the women do. My, I think my skin is too thin. How do you steel yourself for the constant criticism? And yeah, you know, Julie, I love that your podcast is about leading. And sometimes when you actually hold positional power, like being the mayor, like holding an elective office, people are going to hate you. They're going to be angry at what your position stands for and how people have abused governmental power. Let's just be very honest about that for centuries. Uh, And so part of how you actually listen to voices of protest and pain, which is your job as a leader, is to not take the criticism personally. It's not usually about you as a human being. It's really about the power that you hold and how that power has been abused. So that has really helped me. And then just we say at Emerge that Emerge California recruits women who don't want to be someone, they want to do something. Like it's not about the title. It's not about being an elected official. It's about what you are doing every day. And while I will not lie, like being the mayor of Oakland is hard. It is full of heartbreak. Your job is to hold the trauma and pain of a city. And Oakland has much more than its fair share. But it's also to inspire. It's to give people hope. It's to tell them that they matter. It's Mm -hmm. to show them that when they show up and voice their dreams and desires and sometimes even demands, that it actually does make change. And that is just such a great privilege. How did you hold the difference uh, between your authority as mayor, which I can imagine it sounds like you're all powerful, but I imagine you don't have all the authority and had to partner with a lot of other people, but authority and leadership, like really your leadership has such farther reaching impacts even than your authority. Well, I could talk about two different things. One, let me give you my pitch for why I think local government is the perfect place for leadership. In local government, you fly high enough, you're at an altitude where what you do can actually change the world. I had the incredible opportunities to be part of the American delegation to the climate summit in uh, Egypt recently. And before that in Paris, I was a delegate to Habitat 3 in Quito, Ecuador, because people recognize that cities are the centers of innovation, that they are experimenting, that they are trying things, that they are going to be the proofs of concept for the different policies that need to then go to the state and then the federal level. And so what we do at the city level can change the world. And and frankly, it is changing the world around things like climate change. And you are low enough to the ground that it is intimate. It is personal. You know the people that your policies are affecting. And that's why I also think local leaders are effective policymakers because they are closest to the people. They are closest to the ground. Their policy ideas are coming out of visceral experiences in the community. So I encourage everyone to consider local politics. I know state, Congress, federal leadership sounds very exciting, but I think local is where the action is. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, I think about fed- at a federal level, it seems so slow as molasses. I think I would lose my mind because I like to get stuff done. Julie, and- I always say like when it comes to mayors, we don't have time for partisan gr- gridlock. Like yeah. we all belong to one political party. It is the party of get shit done. Yeah, That's what exactly, I say. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, and you got so much done in your time as mayor. You talked a little bit about your pivot of your frame, but how do you really think about your own leadership? How do you lead? What are your pillars of always testing yourself against? I had lots of moments where I had to make really hard decisions in a short amount of time. And I would say there are two things that I did. One, I kept a small group around me that did not always think the same way I thought and who felt the freedom to disagree with me. That is part of loyalty is actually disagreeing with your leader, maybe not publicly, maybe not in front of a big group of people, (laughs) but in that private moment where you are making the decision, you need voices of other perspectives, voices of disagreement, that is important. And then the second thing, I always had these two framing questions and I would run every decision through these two questions. One, what is in the best long-term interest of Oakland? Not what is most comfortable for me personally, not what will feel comfortable in the short term, but always thinking about the long-term. I am born and raised in this city. I plan to die in this city. My parents are aging here. My kids are growing up here. And I feel like when I became mayor, I inherited a lot of cans that got kicked down the road. And I feel like they bonked me right in my forehead. And I swore I wouldn't do that to future leaders. The Mm -hmm. second question that I asked myself, and I think most leaders will give you some version of this, is how does this serve my values? Mm-hmm. For me, values of integrity, of transparency, and equity. Yeah. Those were my leading values. And I'd ask, how do these serve those values? And values-based decision-making is the only kind of decision-making that you should do as a leader. Well, I have to tell you in particular, I'm married to an immigrant. And I would just love to hear more about the Trump ICE announcement and your warning as mayor to resist extremism. Tell me a little bit about how that happened. Was there anybody there whispering and saying, oh, I don't know that this is right? Like, how did you? That took a lot of courage. You know, it was a really interesting discussion. It it was one of those days where, you know, I had gotten this information. I actually had told the head of Sancho Legal de la Raza, their legal defense organization, they were running our rapid defense for ICE actions. I had told him a few, you know, as soon as I kind of heard this information, he had not shared it with anyone. Uh, And he actually was against my sharing it at all. Ah. Uh, And so I I had a quick phone call, like by now, like my information was, this is happening tomorrow. So it really was down to the wire. I had to make this decision that minute. (laughs) And so I put him on the phone. I knew he was against it. But I put someone from the church-based, the PICO organization here, Emma Paulino, who I've worked with for a long time, who's a huge advocate for immigrants in Oakland. She brought on a faith leader from the Catholic Church, and we we debated it. And the head of Centro, you know, was completely opposed. He felt like I would be panicking people, that it was torturing an already vulnerable population. I mean, he had very compelling and strong arguments. But then the priest, you know, it's always hard when there's a priest involved. (laughs) 
eternal damnation, you know. (laughs) Basically said, how could you live with yourself if you learned that you could have prevented one family from being torn apart? And Julie, I thought of two people. I thought of Maria Mendoza Sanchez, who, after 20 years of legally trying to get citizenship, not hiding or trying to break the system or hide from it, she'd become a nurse at our public hospital treating cancer patients. Her husband drove a truck. They had bought a house. They had put their kids through school. They had kids, all their kids of age were in college. Like these are good citizens. You want these people in your community. And the Trump administration had deported her and her husband with these poor kids left to fend for themselves in the country they were born in. So they were citizens. One of the oldest was DACA, who was just completely just traumatized. And then the other person I thought of was another DACA recipient who had actually worked for me. And I remember seeing her the day that it was official that Donald Trump had won the election. And I said to her, oh, my God, I am so sorry. This must be so terrifying for you and your family. And Mm -hmm. she said to me, no, Mayor, we've always lived in fear. This is no different. Just Mm -hmm. everybody now knows about it. And to think about her and her strength and resilience, you know, that's what helped me reject this idea that people can't take this information, that it will traumatize them. It's like, no, they're already traumatized. How disrespectful to think they can't handle the truth. Yes. And so I did imagine if you had known something and then that the impact on people and thinking, I didn't give people a heads up. Yeah. And uh, luckily, I'm, I do have a legal background. I was careful about what I said and how I said it, <laughs> which yeah. actually turned out to be very, very important because I, Julie, I had no idea that the president of the United States would notice my little tweet I put out and literally direct the attorney general of the United States of America to put me in jail. I had to get a legal defense team. It was serious. My husband jokingly said, you know, I know you consulted with some people on this decision. Maybe we could have talked about it. <laughs> we do oh, have honey, two- you were in the cabinet. Oh my God. <laughs> we do have um, two young children. It would be kind of a pain to raise them while you were in jail. <laughs> like, you know. That man puts up with a lot. I love him. I really do. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. I have been together with my husband for 33 years and he is a saint and is sort of what I would call an alternative kind of life partner. In 1989, when I met him, I thought I had to make a choice about the kind of life partner I had. And he's magnificent, but I, you know, he, he stayed home with our kids for six years. Like I have a husband who really took one for the team, if you will. He he left a, a union job and stayed at home with our kids for six years. Like he did it. He did what partners do. How have you guys navigated and what, what might that look like as a message to other people? Oh God, thank you for asking. Because I grew up being very skeptical about the institution of marriage, right? Mm-hmm. Throughout history, it has not been good to women, right? It's kind of a form of chattel ownership. <laughs> so I, I was very skeptical But, you know, I fell in love. I married this man at a time when I was not seeking political office. He has been my number one fan and encourager. And Mm -hmm. when I decided to run 
for my first office, city council, our kids were two and four years old. And Julie, I remember coming home one night and I had gone, I think two days where I left in the morning before the kids were awake and I got home after they were asleep. I literally had only seen their little cute sleeping bodies for about 48 hours. And I lay down next to my husband in bed and I am not a crier. I just, the snot was flowing. Mm. I just started sobbing. Mm. And I said, I'm such a bad mother. And I I said, you know what? I'm not going to go precinct walk on Monday night. We're going to have dinner as a family on Monday nights because the kids, you know, they need to see me at the dinner table. And my husband said, no, you will not. Mm. He said, you get out there, you knock on those doors. You are a great mother because a great mother is not someone who's necessarily there every night for dinner, but is showing through example what Mm. it is like to have a goal and work hard for it, what it is like to care about their community and want to improve it, that is being a good mother. Oh my God, to have that mirror held up for you. How beautiful is that? You know, well, what are they now? My kids are 30 and 27. I'm in the other end of it, right? They don't remember anything from before they were six. We did all those museums and all that stuff. Now, of course, you're implanting all kinds of things in their beautiful brains. However, I think so much of it is our own definition and having him reframe it for you sounds to me like it was just perfect. And at the yeah, right- and I mean, Julie, the jury is still out. We'll see how much therapy my kids need. You know, <laughs> yeah, well, I, think um, I think that happens for all kinds of reasons, whether you're precinct walking or not. Honestly, the hardest part for me personally of being the mayor of Oakland, one was dealing with death. Just again, I always felt personally responsible for every person that died from gun violence, from the victims of the ghost ship fire, every tragedy you feel personally responsible for. But the other thing on a personal level was the number of protests at our house and Mm -hmm. the feeling that our home was not safe for my children and the unwanted attention that they got. So I'm not going to lie and say that that wasn't hard. And again, I had this husband that always kind of tried to say, oh, you know, ha ha, another protest. (laughs) Um, Like, you know, who always tried to kind of keep it light and not get the kids freaked out or worried too much, but still trying to take precautions that Mm. unfortunately were necessary. I mean, after that ice warning, I had some pretty crazy people, Mm -hmm. uh, right-wing people, Mm -hmm. say some pretty horrible things uh, about me and about my family, put pictures of our kids up on social media, uh, wishing them harm. And, Mm. you know, I just... I wish we did not live in a world where people felt like it was appropriate to do that to even elected officials. You've heard me say it before. My goal is for you to run the world. And let me tell you why. It's not just because I think you're fabulous badass and you know that I do. It is actually protective for all of us. When you have diversity on a board, for example, product recalls happen three times faster. Companies perform better. 
It's better for people, it's better for profits, and it's better for the planet. We need you to join a corporate board and we need you to know when to advocate for it in your day job. October 16th through the 20th, How Women Lead is hosting our extremely successful fourth annual Get On Board Week. This week is full of virtual programming, content rich, but also connecting, connecting, connecting. And we know 85% of all board searches, they're word of mouth and through connections. We want to connect you with private equity firms that are seeking board members. We want to connect you with other women board members who've already done it, who are being tagged and can't take all the board seats that are coming their way. We will have board opportunities that we will share with you. Really, truly, this is our way to connect and propel you. This is one week. But what happens is people connect with people on LinkedIn or they create mastermind groups that they support each other all year long. I want you to step up and be part of the solution. My daughter needs you on the board. But I also want to inspire you to think about all the women around you where you can be the person who inspires her and says, I see you on a board. I think you should be on a board check it out come and explore invite 10 friends tell them that you believe in them it's the greatest gift you can give somebody did it for you and i want to encourage you to do it for another woman i look forward to seeing you at get on board week so we can get thousands of women on boards this year our focus beyond the private boards that we've always focused on we're adding the private board space it's time thanks for your partnership send the letter back down and help another woman get into action. So to me that my heart breaks for your family having to go through that. It's so unfair. And it's why do we foment that hate in the world, right? I, that to me, and it maybe segues and sort of, uh, we're almost out of time, but when you help right now today, we're so lucky to have you helping other women think about and start to get in the in the game, political action. Why is it important for women to do this? What's different when we do it? And what are the messages or vision that you have for our country if more women do run? Well, like I said, emerge women run to do something, not just be someone, not just have a title. They run because they have an agenda. And we know statistically that women tend to legislate for healthier children to really address issues of income disparity, of systemic racism, any form of discrimination. You just see that kind of compassion uh, more commonly with women leaders, particularly women who have had these lived experiences. And it's not just about women. It is about BIPOC leaders, LGBTQ leaders. It is about having people at the table of power and decision-making who have the lived experience of the Californian people, the American people, the Oakland people, whoever it is. And we, we are not there. We are a long ways from having a truly representative democracy when we look at leadership. And I'll tell you what I love about Emerge. I always say, Emerge kicked me in my girly, self-doubting ass and told me I was ready. 
I did not have to wait till my children were in college. I did not have to wait till I had more experience or had waited my turn or waited till somebody asked me. That Emerge is officially asking you and telling you, you are ready, you are worthy. The other thing I love about Emerge, and I'll tell you a story. I I know one member who had misgivings about Emerge. She got in and she actually had written an email saying, you know what, I'm, I'm too busy. I I'm, I'm just can't do this training. And for some reason, some glitch happened and the email didn't send. So she begrudgingly showed up to the first day of training. And she admitted after at the end of the day that she had written this email because she was worried that the training would all be about what to say, what to believe in, mm-hmm. how to dress, how to do your hair. And she was so relieved and just excited that the message was the exact opposite. People are sick of plastic, fake politicians. They are sick of it. They want authenticity. They want to feel your fire, your passion, your anger, your wishes, your hopes, your dreams. They do not want you to be dressed in some way that you don't care about. You know, let your whatever be what do do you, you know? <laughs> but my point is, if you are not speaking from your authentic self, who you are, what yeah. brought you to this moment of raising your hand, no one is going to believe you if you don't believe yourself. And so Emerge urges you to speak with authenticity. You saw me recently, Julie. I started to cry while yeah. I was speaking to a crowd about an experience that I had in the aftermath of the ghost ship fire. And people used to tell female politicians, never let them see you cry. Back yeah. DiFi, I think, yeah. said that. Mm-hmm. We do not say that. We're like, yeah. show them your snot bubble. Just yeah. be yourself, speak your truth. And that is good leadership. So I've often heard that you have to be tapped on the shoulder nine times before you run for public office. Um, I don't know if that's true. Maybe you know. But I also think about that in all kinds. I use that example when I talk about getting on a corporate board or starting to invest in venture or all kinds of other arenas where women, they need that extra boost of support. And that call to, you know, look at the women around you and, and support them, promote them, get them give them the tap on the shoulder that gives them the courage to do the thing that you know they need to do in the world. Can you tell me about the either the emerge frame around there? What's your belief around that? Absolutely. I mean, there's tons of scientific studies that show women have to be asked because they do not think they are qualified and they constantly underestimate their qualifications, whether it's for a corporate job or elective office, women underestimate their qualifications. And the second thing is they are more concerned about their ability to balance their personal obligations, being a parent, being a spouse, being a child to aging parents. Um, I'm in the middle of all of those things right now. And women are afraid because they feel tremendous loyalty and obligation to their personal jobs. And so how can we as women break that? One, Ask women, be the tappers on the shoulder, be your own emerge army. Tell women you are ready. You are worthy. You do not need to wait your turn. You are more than qualified. And then the second thing is, and I I always tell this story, my class of emerge, you know, emerge brags that we also create a sisterhood. 
we not only train people in like the actual mechanics of running and winning a campaign, but we create a support network. And when I was running, one of my Emerge sisters said, Libby, I've already been phone banking. I've already knocked on doors for you. Can I come over and do your laundry? Oh, and I oh my God. burst into tears. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Like the political doula. <laughs> yeah. help me. Help, can I tell you, I would not let everybody handle my dirty intimates. But, you know, <laughs> she was my sister. And the fact that she even knew to offer that, that is the kind of thing. And I got to just say all the parent friends in our lives that picked our kids up from soccer, yeah. that knew that we needed extra help in carpooling and always showing up to be the village for our kids. So grateful to you. So when you see those women leaders out there, one, tell them to go hire and to offer to do their laundry. Oh my God, that's beautiful. This has been fantastic. You are just absolutely a star, my friend, in all ways. And I want to say thank you very much for keeping it real and living your life the way that you do with that commitment. And I hope you have plenty of people who will come do your laundry for you. Uh, because <laughs> you know what? We all you know we all need that kind of help on occasion, even if you're not currently the mayor of Oakland. Whatever it is to have that sisterhood of people who will have your back in the moment when you're feeling the most vulnerable or stressed out is, is absolutely beautiful. As a final question for you, what's next for you? I know today you're the executive director of Emerge, but do you have a vision yet into the future? Where are we going to see you? Are you going to be president? Julie, I plan to spend my life making the world a better place, especially uh, creating more conditions of wellness through making government work better. Yeah. How I do that, I'm still deciding. I'm trying to give myself a little bit of space. I am so inspired leading Emerge. We have the most diverse group of trainees in our signature training program right now, 41 kick-ass leaders awesome. in California. They graduate in June. I'm excited about seeing that. I'm also excited about teaching the next generation of leaders at the Goldman School of Public Policy at UC Berkeley. I have two fellowships, one with Harvard around cradle to career initiatives like the Oakland Promise, helping to start those and support those around the country, and also with mayors for a guaranteed income, really looking at things like the child tax credit and closing the wealth divide by race and gender. So, you know, I am not bored. I am still oh my, in the world, yeah. whether like I, might have, jobs. <laughs> I might have some other run for office in me remains to be seen, but I promise you, I will work on making government work better for the people as long as I've got a pulse running through my Oakland heart. Well, what a gift to spend time with you. You're an inspiration for all of us. You are definitely one of the women who inspires. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, Julie. And thank you for all the inspiration that you do. You are every day. You're like your own Emerge program, telling people they're ready, telling women that they need to lead and creating that network of support and inspiration. That is what we need because the world needs us as women to show up to lead. And with that, I want to thank you all for listening to today's episode of How Women Inspire. And because your inspiration should not stop when this podcast ends, head over to our website, howwomenlead.com. 
Follow us on LinkedIn at How Women Lead and subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast app to find out how you can proactively take charge and step into your power through our workshops and activism in our loving network. We want to propel you. See you next time, ladies. And remember to be unabashedly visible.